0: Aloha and welcome to SUP-FM, the podcast for stand-up paddleboarders everywhere. So with no further ado, let's get out on the water and on with the show. Here are your hosts, Nick and Simon. Hey Nick, how's your Monday going? It's fantastic, thanks very much. I'm. Uh, it's going well, it's going well. How's your Monday going, Simon? It's absolutely fantastic. And uh, I was really, really happy to have a conversation with our first male guest for a while. I think it's been a few weeks, hasn't it? It
1: has. yeah, it's been a lot of ladies in the past. And I was just looking at the at the list the other day and I was thinking, wow. So many ladies. People think we're going to be biased, but it's a, we've got guys from now on. I think
0: exactly. We've got a, a few guys on um, kick-ass women. I would describe them as, and uh, just started using that uh, that hashtag on our Instagram posts. So uh, today's interviews with Tony Bain, who's a New Zealander who lives. in in north wales and he's a real adventure paddler tony bain's a real innovator and holds various world records well one in particular which is very striking which is the bathtub speed record which we talk about.
1: I was just going to ask about that, but if you're going to talk about it well, then that's great. Uh,
0: But he's a real pioneer of stand up paddle boarding and um, has introduced various different formats of competition, including a sort of gladiator style pugil stick combat on a large sup. So um, I experienced that in the National Watersports Festival a few years ago. So that that was quite something. And uh, he's He's one of the guests who I've actually got my own collection of photos of. So uh, we'll be uh, putting those in in the Instagram feed. But he's a New Zealander very much into whitewater paddling. We Talk a bit about that. Uh, And we spend quite a bit of time talking about his two attempts on on the Yukon. And uh, for those who have seen Sup Race's video of that on... Uh, YouTube, you'll know that it's not a soft challenge. It's a hugely challenging race, and he's competed in that once. Once he had to withdraw, and the second he completed, a uh, thousand kilometres. So here he is, the wonderful Tony Bain. Today's guest on SUP FM is Tony Bain. He's a New Zealander settled in North Wales in the UK. And someone weird class as a pioneer of the sport, and someone who pushes the boundaries. He's competed in some gnarly adventure races like the Yukon 1000, likes whitewater paddling, and also holds a Guinness World Record. Tony, welcome to Sup FM.
1: Hi, how are you today?
0: Very good, thank you. Um, now, so I guess where I'd really like to start is to find out um, how it was that you first discovered the stand-up paddleboard, and to find out a little about your first session.
1: Well, that's um, actually a really uh, fun story, which sort of I was busy doing what I usually do on an um, August bank holiday at the World Bog Snorkeling Championships. When a guy approached me and said, um, you're paddling a bathtub. Why are you doing that? And I just sort of said to him, why not? He said, well, I'd love to give that a go. And I said, well, that's fine. I said, you know, that's what we're here. That's what we're doing today. You know, encouraging people to have fun in the water.
0: Where were you, Tony? Where were you doing that?
1: Oh, that was Plinited um, Wells um, in Mid Wales, um, home of bog snorkeling. And um, right, they have. Uh, you may have heard the, the man versus horse. We run a mountain marathon against a horse as well. So oh, right. All these different tourism-based activities that drive tourism in this tiny, tiny, well, it's the smallest town in the UK. Um, there's not a lot there, you know. So to drive the, the infrastructure, they've set up all these fun, quirky outdoor events that people come and do in the town. So we created the World Bathtubbing Championships to help the town out in a way and um, to help uh, drive tourism for Wales. And it was there that I met Tristan. And Tristan and I were talking about this and that and doing adventures and stuff, as you do. And he mentioned um, he was going to paddleboard with two mates down the length of the Seven River. And I thought, Whoa, that's a brilliant idea. And um, he was telling me, he says, oh, you know, we do, we ride the Seven Boar, you know, but well, we're a little bit worried about the river because we've never had any river experience. And I said, well, yeah, there's nothing to worry about a river. And um, so we got some chatting some more and he said, oh, we've got a few things holding us up, but we're probably not going to get around to it this year. We need to get some funding and we need to get permissions from the, the Welsh forestry people and other things. I just sort of looked at him and I said, well, I can get those permissions for you tomorrow morning. So I know exactly the people who to talk to for that. But so I can also get you the funding for the the, the." a uh, little film that you want to do on the thing as long as it's aimed at Welsh tourism and I know the people who to talk to and you're after the mountain bikes i said well i've got those in my front room because I'm a mountain bike guide and before long you didn't really have a choice <laughs> um all the kit was there all the permissions were there and i said well of course you've got to allow me to come with you and that's how i got into paddleboarding and, yeah, I mean, <laughs> right from your first trip, you're doing, oh, I forget what it is, 270-odd miles down the length of the Severn River. So right from day one, it's not been a one-kilometer paddle and a little bit of fun at the beach. It's been full-on adventure for me, and that's what I really love about it is getting out on the river for days or the lake or wherever it is and spending some time in the environment with my paddleboard
0: that's an incredible story and uh started at the bog snorkeling championship i'm sure that's not a story that everyone can uh, tell about their first experience of paddleboarding that's so so tony i mean it's an incredible challenge that you know get stepping up the mileage right from day one um can you remember what it felt like when you hopped onto a paddleboard for the first time
1: It wobbled a lot. It was very cold because it was November when we first got on paddle boards. But I went to New Zealand very soon after to visit my mum and dad and family in New Zealand. So my paddle board went with me and I had summer over there to practice. So I got loads of practice in the summer in New Zealand in the warm and it was great. I couldn't stop it. It's just grabbed you and it was so exciting to be doing something different to what everybody else was doing yeah i've been hooked ever since
0: so your first trip then down the seven uh, what were the logistics of that did was it self supported did you carry all the kit with you you couldn't have done all that in one day could you
1: um no the the first trip we did down the seven was really to show for red paddle co the versatility of the boards the fact that you could roll them up and have them in a bag put them into a car and journey somewhere we had a car for support and during the day we really just took our daily needs you know our food some food some water some spare clothes and just enough stuff to to keep us going for the day it was a pretty um it was a long journey don't get me wrong but we were meeting the vehicle maybe at lunchtime on some days and we were meeting the vehicle at the end of the day.
0: That's quite some first trip, and I, I guess uh, you got fit and um, and got your sense of balance on the uh, on the water there. Uh, so I haven't uh, paddled down the Seven. What's I mean? I know the, the sort of lower reaches, and obviously the the bore. What are the the upper reaches like? Are they fast? Have, you know, were there any challenges there?
1: Well, a uh, river's speed comes from the gradient at which it flows down. So when you start in Wales, you've got some very large flat areas up there. So the river sort of meanders quietly. It doesn't really have any real gradient, so therefore it's not flowing very fast. Um, So it's not until you get down to places like Ironbridge where there is actually a change in height and you get the Jackfield Rapids, um, and that's when you'll get fast, bumpy water that maybe gives you a little bit of white stuff on the top which is quite fun. That's what I really like, is the white water. The seven was kind of interesting from the point of view of the terrain you go through. So you'll be travelling through farm country, the wide open plains, and then when you get down around cities and towns, you will start seeing all the industry and different parts of the town appear. Uh, I suppose the exciting thing is going under a road bridge. Um, yeah. Kind of, it's kind of strange what excites you when you're on a paddleboard on a journey like that.
0: And of course, um, you've competed in quite a, a lot of uh, adventure races and adventures since then. I know you've done um, coast to coast um, in Scotland. Was that one of the the first crossings there?
1: The Challenge Paddle in Scotland, um, the first paddle. I joined. I think there was eleven of us went and did that. And that was the first one that I think there was the canoe. There was a canoe club organising it initially and then they they cancelled it. And Joanne Hamilton Vale and myself, we got together and we said, well, we're not having that. So let's um, go and organise something and get something happening. So um, a few others then sort of joined in and said, yeah, come on, let's go and do this. So there was 11 of us went that first year which was really exciting. Small group, really confident paddlers. So um, it was achievable. The weather conditions were favorable for us. And the length of time that we as paddlers were going to be out there, it was all achievable within the weather window. So it worked out really well. But sadly, between then and now, they haven't had quite the luck with the weather windows, um, and there's obviously been different outcomes for the event, but it's an amazing paddle, well worth doing, well worth doing.
0: Excellent, excellent. And you said that uh, you've got some uh, strong paddlers there. I mean, looking at the, uh, the people taking part, I think that's probably a, a, a great British understatement. You, is that the one with... Um well, just run through some of the paddlers there.
1: Um, we had Phil Pume there, Joanne Hamilton Vale.
0: Oh, who else was there? I
1: oh, was there. Um, Alistair Swinscoe was there.
0: Uh, was, that, was that the Bart de Swart one?
1: Yeah, Bart was there. We had Tom Wakefield from Scotland.
0: So a lot of the, the real leading leading lights really certainly from the UK and yeah, certainly
1: people who have been around the sport for a long period of time.
0: And and the route there was that was sort of through across Loch Ness and so on was it?
1: Yeah, that's right. It's the great it's known as the Great Glen um, Canoe Trail. It follows follows the route of the Caledonian Canal and it's 90 odd kilometers, 97 kilometers I think it is from loch to loch. I'm just doing an article on my, we called it the Mac Coast to Mac Coast crossing in 2015 when we journeyed the route in four days. Once again, camping, carrying our all-own kit and stuff. That was an exciting trip, but that's going to appear on my blog, on my website uh, in the next few days.
0: And then obviously uh, the biggie is uh, your adventures on the the Yukon, the Yukon Quest, and then the Thousand. So you've been out there a couple of times. Uh, Be really interested in, um, you know, both of your experiences then if you can share it with us. Yeah,
1: the Yukon for me, ever since I was a boy reading adventure books, and that's a while ago, (laughs) I've always been fascinated with journeys. And the one journey right from my youngest days that I really, really, really wanted to do was the 1,000-mile dog sled race in Canada. But when I was training for the um, Source to Sea on the Seven, I went up the Planiman Mountains in um, mid-Wales in all the snow and the year before, I'd had some frostbite injuries to my feet um, from mountain biking. And uh, I realized that spending a long time in snow and cold conditions was not good for me anymore. So that event was going to just have to go by the way. But then they announced that stand-up paddle boards could go in the Yukon 1000. So for me, that was really exciting because now my latest passion or craze or bad or whatever people want to call it, the paddleboard could fit into my great childhood adventure. So that that was really positive. But yeah, the first time I went to Canada was for the Yukon River Quest. And that's the 715 mile uh, kilometre journey from Whitehorse City to Dawson City and um, it's a it's a staged paddle so you travel from Whitehorse to Carmarks and you then come out of the water for seven hours rest. Then you're allowed to go back into the water and you take another chunk um, down to Coffee Creek and you come out again, and then I think you've got three hours out there. And then it's back in the water and back down to Dawson City. So for that one, I was all, thought I was all sorted, all good to go. Certainly was physically. Having packed all my kit up and sent it via courier to Canada, told it was going to take a four-day um, journey time. And I'm um, getting to Canada, waiting my four days, well, I think I only had to wait two days because I sent it two days before and get to, get to Yukon and my bags don't turn up. It's like, oh, this is going to be interesting. And then you'd have to try and find out where your luggage is and nobody knows. And um, it, then it appears in the United States and uh, oh my gosh. it's seemingly then put on a truck and has to travel all the way to Canada by truck. And the race is getting closer and closer. And still it hasn't turned up. The day before the event, we suddenly get a phone call and it says, It will be here tomorrow morning at eight
0: o'clock. Oh my goodness. That that's terrible.
1: I had to leave that equipment at nine thirty for the scrutineers on race day. It was a matter of um um getting run up to the collection point the morning of the race when you're meant to be at your calmest you're meant to have checked the weight distribution on your board you've know exactly what equipment you're taking with you um everything's packed and secured so at eight o'clock I get my bag or my box I rush down to the lake Get it all out. Get it pumped up. Get the bags on. Get the and leave it at nine thirty. So an hour and a half.
0: That must have been so tough, Tony. Because kit you absolutely have to be comfortable with in advance, particularly when you're facing so much mileage. That must have absolutely done your head in.
1: I mean, I've learned a lot from that first race. That first race has taught me so much, so so much about not just paddleboarding, but through life in general at the moment we see ourselves we're thrown outside of our normal situation and and the one thing you've got to focus on in the situation I found myself was well hey okay it hasn't quite gone right you just look at the situation you say well what can I do that makes it achievable and what makes it happen so the thing was get all oh, you cut on the board get it sorted just make sure you got everything you need let's get on if it needs to come back Towards me on the board, let's do it while we're going. So it was a very quick look at the practical situation and say, right, if it's not on the board, it's not coming with me. I can balance it later. Um, and in that time, I've just got to make the most of it. But therein lay the problem. When I put it on the board, I put it too far forward at the beginning. So my speed was slow. So I got left behind. I also had to use a lot more energy at the hottest part of the day um, to drive my board forward so as I was getting down the river I thought right I'll pull over at this checkpoint and I'll adjust it but when I get there I find that it's a 15 foot 20 foot high shingle bank you can't pull over there so there's no way you can adjust your board the next checkpoint is a few clicks down the lake that was the first point where I could really adjust my board, but you've used up so much energy in a in a temperature that is way, way, way hotter than your experience in the UK and uh, on a normal day. So, you know, you just get thrown out of sync. But all these things, while you're physically fit and capable, all these things are gnawing away at your mind. Maybe I should have listened to what he said maybe i should have listened to what they said is my food right is my water right all these things are gnawing away in your head and they are as much part of the paddle as your physical strength is and your physical ability your your capabilities as a paddler is what i want to say you know you might be the best paddler you might have an okay physique but if your head is not able to pull together all these elements then there's a fair chance you'll fail yeah i was pretty good i thought i had a good practical understanding how to overcome the problem on my board with the balance of kit and all those sorts of things i had a clear plan that we was going to put in place but the one thing that really got me was the personal connection to another paddler that developed later in the race. I'm always a person, and always have been. If somebody's in trouble, I'll help them out. I'll just put aside what I'm doing and deal with it. Not a problem, that kind of bloke. That's the way I was brought up. And Joanne Hamilton Vale was having an illness, a bug problem. So she wasn't feeling that strong and that, that... Well, she was still a faster paddler than me, so I don't know what was too wrong. But clearly she was having high points and low points, and um, it wasn't the done thing when she really did start to, to lose, um, shall we say, strength and the will to carry on. That uh, wasn't the done thing to sort of have left her alone in the wilderness there but supported her into one of the checkpoints. But the big thing there was the amount of effort I had to put in to keep her paddling, to keep her mentally focused on driving forward and myself. So when we get to the checkpoint, I leave her with the marshals and I'm off again, off down the river. But I'm still worried about what's happening with Joe. I'm still thinking about oh maybe I should have done this maybe I shouldn't have done that whereas I should have left that situation behind and got back on the river starting to think oh you got to catch up you got to drive forward da 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 but that's when the boat comes past carrying Joe who just looks up at me as I go past and I can see she's got a tear in her eye and it just broke me just like that I just broke into pieces I couldn't stand up I felt hunger I felt thirsty I felt all these so mixed up, so bizarre. I just I just trembled and ended up kneeling down on my board, going to the shore, sorting myself out and falling asleep for three hours. But there was no way I could have carried on paddling because I was just an emotional, um, maybe a wreck, but that it was the emotions of seeing joe going past and the personal connection that i hadn't planned for that in my paddle plan it wasn't there that personal connection and then that separation and all those those personal feelings let me down on that paddle
0: well it's it sounds tony like it was uh, pure adrenaline i mean you had obviously the days leading up to the to the paddle where you were you know, focused on your board arriving. You had the fact that you weren't able to arrange your trim and so on in advance, so you had to manage that. And then the situation with um, Joanne Hamilton Vale, you know, particularly surprising and, you know, and it just shows how acute the situation was because she is a phenomenally powerful athlete so um you know i, I think the other thing around the yukon is is that it was um, the format of it was that there are a very specific time frames aren't there there is a cut off so if you don't make it to the next checkpoint by the particular time then you get um, axed from the race yeah exactly but, uh,
1: it's um it's a very driven event um and you know it's the same with same with all these things but you know for that event you can be physically prepared you can be technically prepared but you should also make sure the one thing i learned out of all this personally you've got to make sure that you are personally and mentally prepared for these events as well
0: um so that was the that was was that the end of your your first Yukon race
1: that was the uh, I, I pulled out at Little Salmon because I wasn't going to make the. Or I was advised I wasn't going to make the next cutoff point. Then they ferried me down to the end. It was really good to go to the end and watch all the paddlers coming in. It was it was really good, shall I say? Mm. Bart came up to me a bit later and he said, "You know, I'm really sorry for you finding and seeing all your kit arrive that point in the morning." He said, "I felt really sorry for you. <laughs> I felt really sorry for me." But when Bart, somebody like that, comes along and says to you, "You know, you got dealt a bad hand," that that means something.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And he he's had a few adventures in his time, hasn't he, as well? Yeah. So clearly, this was uh, clearly this was unfinished business. So um, so you you chose to do the full distance the uh, the next time then.
1: Well. It, The full distance, yeah. I mean, you know, once again, it goes back to that dream as a child of wanting to do the 1,000-mile dog sled race. In some ways, maybe that was the event I was meant to be doing and not the 715 Ks. So I'd looked on it as a completely different challenge because I didn't want what had happened in the past to influence the new event. Um I had a different board. I had a board which was much longer. It had been created by Farrell O'Shea and myself for my particular paddling style and the technique that I'd developed, which is quite different to a lot of people's paddling techniques. So the board was much more capable than the board I had had in the past for these long adventures. So I was much more confident. The the fact I was now tackling the Yukon, which is um, the Yukon 1000, which is a thousand miles in 10 days, that means you've got to do 100 miles a day or 160 kilometers in a day. You've got 18 hours to achieve that distance. So a paddling training session for me wasn't just a matter of. Of one day, one paddle, doing 50k's or something like that. I would block out periods where I would be on the go for maybe five days. You know, I I would work a day's work, so I'd start at seven, I'd finish at five. I'd then drive to Scotland overnight, sleep. Saturday morning, I was in a classroom doing a kayak course on a Saturday. Then you'd finish your kayak course, you'd do your study and coursework night, get up Sunday morning, do the same again. Sunday night, you'd drive into Inverness, blow up your paddleboard, paddle across the Caledonian Canal to Banavi, get there 11 o'clock the next day with all your kit, get in a bus, go back to Inverness, pick your van up and start to drive home. And when you got tired, you went to sleep. So that was the kind of training I was doing to get prepared to go to the Yukon 1000. It wasn't just a one-day paddle. It was getting yourself so that you had to be able, even when tired, to keep going. Because when you're paddling for 18 hours, and it's a race, and it's pretty fine-tuned that you... You, you can do this race um, and get there in 10 days. Uh, for a paddleboard, it's a bit slower. You can't actually guarantee you're going to get there. But for the canoes and kayaks, uh, typically they'll waltz in. But for a stand-up paddleboard, it's it's not guaranteed that you'll get there because you could have a bad day and lose miles and stuff.
0: Yeah, and, and it's all self-supported, isn't it, the Yuka uh, the 1000?
1: Yeah, you're not allowed to resupply. The other way of looking at it is there isn't anywhere to resupply. So if you ain't got it, you're going hungry.
0: So so tell me a bit about the kit that you had on there, because clearly, I mean, water was a big consideration. That was, I mean, clearly there was a lot. Underneath your board, but uh, you know it's not like you could uh, carry a whole load of jerry cans in there, and um, and the food as well. You know, I I guess you would minimise the amount of sleep that you had in order to to just get those miles in. How how, how did it all all of those logistics work?
1: You mentioned the the sleep thing. Um, you're allowed to paddle for eighteen hours a day. Simple as that. Five o'clock till eleven p.m. at night. You're allowed to paddle you're carrying trackers, you turn them on before you start in the morning and you turn them off when you've got to your beach at night. Um, And they keep the grid references so they know where you are and what's what's going on. And if there's any discrepancies, well, they'll look at that at the end and you could be disqualified. The big thing about the Yukon 1000 is, a jolly long way. As we've already talked about, you can't resupply So if you ain't got it, you can't use it. And that's the big thing is understanding every process you're going to do from eating, drinking, sleeping, pooping, lighting fires, cutting up an onion or all these things. And what you've got to got to relate them to the level of need. Well, I mentioned cutting up an onion. Sharp knife, onion, smells of onions attracting wild animals. Do we really want to do that? No. Okay, let's not take the onion. Do we need the sharp knife? We could cut ourselves. Okay, first aid is a long way away. Let's leave the sharp knife out of this. So sooner or later, you're already seeing you're making your trip safer. You're also making it smell friendly to the animals. um, So you're not going to attract those. So you work out all these different situations that you will find yourself. If you have started off with a big pile of equipment on the floor and you've worked through everything, you will suddenly find that you have got just the bare minimum that you need for that period of time. You know, on, on the Yukon, I didn't take toilet paper. You know, in the natural environment, Do you really want to leave toilet paper behind? Should we leave toilet? No, we shouldn't. We should actually carry it with us. Do we really want to have toilet paper in our bag? I certainly don't. So there is, if you go to um, various online sites, there is methods of dealing with that situation. And so you just develop systems that work for the environment that you're going in, how you're going to set up your camp, how you're going to cook your food. And it's all these systems that will dictate how you're going to live for 10 days. Of course, the problem is, as we know in this sunny country, um, on the other side of the cloud is a rain cloud. So you can get a good dry day or you can get a very wet day. So you do need to have a backup just in case. You get different weather patterns to what you would like to be paddling in.
0: Yeah, so 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 just in terms of food choices and so on, did you? How did you do that? Did you have um, gels and bars and so on, or were they sort of the military type meals ready to eat? Or what was your? How, how did you manage your nutrition there?
1: Well, everybody's different. I have some kind of unique systems about how I carry my equipment. And, and kind of things I do. I actually lived on fresh food for the first three days. So it wasn't until later in the event that we went on to dried foods.
0: So what, what sort of fresh foods did you bring with you? Is it fruit or...?
1: The first few days I took fruit. We had, uh, had sliced meat, um, you know, things like salamis and, and stuff like that. We had some fresh eggs with us. Certainly took a lot of dried fruits with us and stuff like that. But it's about how you store stuff and you transport it and all those sorts of things. And that's where a lot of knowledge of other science, I suppose, comes in to being able to adventure through the wilderness, understanding some principles of how to make things cold, how to make things hot, controlling temperature and stuff like that. All, you know, these are all things outside of the scope of normal stand-up paddleboarding that are good to learn when you're doing these kinds of events. I mean, I remember right up on a, a beach in, in Canada. Alex was terribly tired. He went off to light a fire and he couldn't do it. Um, it, He was just being let down because he was tired. His attention span wasn't good enough to actually allow him to make the fire happen. And in the end, he just got ratty and left it. Clearly, I wasn't quite so tired. Went over there, a couple of matches, fire was going. And it's it's those skills. It's being able to see that you're tired, know that unless you get a fire going, you're not going to get food, you're not going to get warm, you're not going to get dry clothes.
0: Um, and um, and how many days was this?
1: It was 10 days in a row. So, I mean, you paddle for 18 hours. Okay, we didn't... You're Sorry, you're allowed to paddle for 18 hours. Some days we were an hour late getting on the water because you just you're just so tired that it takes... One or both of you that long to get all your kit back on the board, get up in the morning, have your breakfast, put your kit back on the board, get your tents down. You might sleep in late, all this sort of stuff. But um, so you might lose an hour in the morning or an hour and a half or something, and then you're back on the water until 11 o'clock at night. When you get off, then you've got to light your fire again, get your food. So some nights we would get our food and double quick time, and we might be in bed within two hours. You then get the chance to sleep three or four hours before you're back out again, and back onto your board again. So most nights we probably didn't get more than three hours sleep.
0: Did you see any wildlife when you were out there?
1: Yeah, yeah. We saw some bears. We saw some um, We saw a, a mother moose with her baby calf drinking at the water's edge and the fresh grass. Bald eagles. Um, we heard a few beaver splash. We think. I think that was about the lot, really.
0: Well, and I hope the bears kept a very safe distance from you.
1: Well, we were drifting down the middle of the river. So, yeah, they were they were as surprised as we were, actually. We, we would come drifting down the river. Mother bear was down by the water's edge and two baby cubs were up on the bank, river bank, probably 15 feet higher than the mother bear. She just leapt straight up the shingle bank, clawing as she went, and up over the top, crashing through the undergrowth and her babies followed her. They weren't coming back.
0: <laughs> no, well, thank, thank goodness they were uh, they were a nice, safe distance away. And and just coming back to the logistics, because I'm sort of intrigued by this sort of thing. Um, in terms of your sleeping arrangements, how, how did that work? Did you tent it? Did you have hammocks? Did you just kip on top of your boards? What, how did that work?
1: Um, we had a tent each. It's not, I, I wouldn't advise being out in the open without a tent in that kind of situation. The Yukon is, is a place where if you get good weather, it's great. If for any reason it's rainstorm, um, then you certainly don't want to be relying on a bivy bag. If you had um, the idea of going with some kind of fly sheet and being underneath that, then you've still got the issues of maybe there being insects or um, things visiting you in the night. Um, so I think a tent is a is a good idea. Gives you a little bit of personal protection it keeps you and it also helps keep kit dry if it is driving rain. Because the one thing you really can't afford is getting damp kit.
0: Very difficult to dry it out, particularly sort of if, multiple days.
1: If you're on the move every day, it's virtually impossible. And you know this. You, you know, that comes onto another system. How do you get kit from a bag on your board into a tent without guaranteeing it is going to get wet? You know, so you've got to work all these systems out so carefully. If the weather's great fantastic it's so much easier but if it's wet it could all turn to pear shape just because you get one big rainstorm and you're trying to get a sleeping bag out of a bag and get it into your tent because you don't take the bag into the tent because it's already wet got to work out all these things before you go
0: amazing And that sounds like an absolute colossal adventure. And I can certainly see the advantage of going to Scotland to do all of your prep, because (laughs) I guess you're likely to get all of the worst types of conditions, bar the bears, of course.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, a lot of people worry about the wildlife, but um, I'm a farm boy. You know, I grew up on high country stations in New Zealand and you get to learn that animals are just like us they don't like to be threatened. You threaten them, they'll stand their ground, just as we would stand our ground when we're threatened. So if you give them an opportunity to escape, they will usually take it. So people are often more worried about the wildlife than they really need to be. But just like us, they will probably disappear into the undergrowth as quick as I mentioned before. But it's always knowing which ones are going to go and which ones aren't. That's what you've got to worry about, that rogue element.
0: It's all about being sensible, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, as you say, uh, not confronting uh, the bear and not placing yourself in a situation where um, you're likely to, to cause them any distress. So, so Tony, the uh, the finishing line must have been amazing. How did that feel like to to know that you'd completed the, the thousand mile the thousand kilometers
1: the the finishing line was it's, it's always it's you know it's like anything you you can to get there you you believe you're going to get there on the last day it seemed to always be just around that corner just a little bit more just a little bit more and we, we must be there soon surely no we didn't actually say that but that thought was in your head and then when it did appear, it was like actually I'd like to stop, turn my board around and just paddle here for some time. I didn't really want it to finish. But on the other hand, we were looking forward to some some nice food. Not saying that we didn't have good food on the trip, but some food we didn't have to prepare ourselves. And um, the biggest thing I think for us was the, the drawer of the hot shower at the end of the day. But but yeah, it was it was a strange sensation. You you wanted to cross it, but you didn't want to give up what you were doing.
0: Hmm. Yeah, you you work yourself into a real bubble. I mean I've done nothing approaching the sort of distance you're talking about, but I did do um, John O'Groats Land's End um, cycle ride a few years ago with sort of s- slightly shorter distance than you. It was 800 odd and um, very much identify. You really get down into the base requirements when you're, when you're stopping. Certainly it's all about food. And, and what was your first meal when you uh, finally uh, <laughs> made it onto the uh, side of the river?
1: Well, that would. We were, we finished or the finish for the Yukon 1000 is on the Dalton Highway, which um, at the point that crosses the Yukon River, there is a truck stop as immortalized in ice road truckers on um, TV. So if you watch that program, you'll probably see that, um, that truck stop. So, of course, they have burgers. Well, wow. guess what? We ordered burgers. <laughs>
0: So fantastic. that first meal but that felt good
1: um yeah it wasn't bad actually it it was nice to have some food that actually um, had real texture I'd been um, yeah been eating far too many nuts and um, dried fruits and things for too long it was nice to get some good good red meat into the stomach
0: fantastic and a good long sleep as well
1: well funnily enough, no um we were so hyped up that sleeping was a bit of a problem for a few days afterwards yes you slept and you slept for somewhat longer you slept really really deeply but um we weren't sleeping all night um i think it was something to do with the daylight the amount of hours of daylight up there but uh we, we slept longer but we certainly didn't sleep a full night of say eight hours or something like that
0: I think the other thing that, that I found from my multi-day is um, the body is still hyped up for, for exercise so um, yeah,
1: exactly it's like a drug once you're in there you're in this big continuous loop and um, it really is a strange sensation and it takes some time for your body to to wean off that as such.
0: Mm, what an amazing adventure. So so um, in terms of long adventures, I mean, clearly that was a, a childhood ambition to paddle the Yukon. Um, in terms of future events and adventures, what have you got your eyes on at the moment?
1: Well, there's lots of things that um, I've, well, I've done the coast to coast in New Zealand, which is a multi-sport event, but I'd like to go back and do that again. Mm. Uh, that's Something I would like to do, um, but for me now, I I don't. There's some canoe races in in the states, where the Alabama one, and there's a few other long distance routes over there. I'm not sure that they appeal as much as the Yukon. Mm. So I think I think for me, I'm probably going to search out some um, challenges that I'm going to create myself. And, and do those. I, I really enjoy going home to New Zealand and exploring the rivers over there, and quite often I'll get on a river up by the Alps, and uh, particularly on the Canterbury side, it's about 130 yard kilometres down to the sea, and I'll, I'll journey that in the day. I'll take my, my day's food or a couple of days' food and a tent and my equipment and go and do that. So I like doing those sorts of things. Now, the big multi days, yeah, I I love that. I love those journeys. Um, I'm not really into the racing thing. You won't find me in the UK racing circuit. I'm just not into races.
0: Are you into surfing, Tony? Are you? Uh...
1: I'm not really a surfer either.
0: White water is,
1: is oh, white water. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> white water is awesome. I love white water. Um, I first started paddle boarding in November, 2012 by, by April, 2013, I'd found the local waterfall on my, my standup paddle board. And, um, I used to drop into that and play around and fiddle about. I did even more falling off then. That was uh, really cool. Um, and then. Laterally, late I've been, you know, running down the tueran on my 17-foot inflatable stand-up paddleboard, which was designed for the sea. Everybody said to me it's way too long to be jumping down waterfalls and white water on, but it's what you're used to. Some people ride 9-foot, 10-foot, 12-foot boards, but um, I'm on my, my 17-foot board, I suppose, in a way, it's a different sort of. Once again, it's a different sort of paddling for me. I'm that downriver racer. I, I sort of start at the top of the river and want to finish at the bottom. Um, whereas the guys on the shorter boards are generally the slalom boats, where they're hopping in in and out of eddies and playing around a bit. Uh, I'm not that sort of, not that sort of paddler. Yeah, I'll go through the same water. But I'm not doing the same stuff on it, so it allowed my board length allows me to achieve that somewhat.
0: I mean, one of the you know, so many things I I haven't asked you and intended to. Um, Obviously, you're um, up in um, North Wales, and um, you're running a a, an adventure school there. Could you just tell me a little bit about that and the sort of disciplines that you you cover there?
1: Um, Green Dragon Activities is. Yeah, it's different. Um, I have the tagline for the business, our world is just a little bit different. It's probably a whole heap different. Um, when you when you come along to us, the it, it's not what you should. You, yeah, just come with an open mind, you know. We have bathtubs you paddle. We have stand-up paddle boards, and we give you some pugle sticks so you can knock each other off into the water. Um, we've got bamboo poles, eight-metre-long bamboo poles you type in bamboo pole rowing into the internet yeah, and so you can do that in north wales and we've got stand-up paddle boards just for normal fun and, and play and, and notice i said normal yeah it's not really like normal standing up and paddling.
0: And, and just bring ourselves back to um to bathtub racing you've been um, good in terms of avoiding one of the the what must be one of the crowning glories of your career so far which is your guinness world record Uh,
1: yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i suppose it is really isn't it (laughs) yeah the guinness book of world records for the fastest man in a bathtub over 100 meters um at the cardiff international whitewater center some number of years ago now but uh, yeah i suppose it is a, a crowning glory in a way
0: and and this is this is something that you'll be absolutely untouchable on, I understand.
1: Well <laughs> we will hold another one someday, but you know, if you want to have a go at the World Bathtubbing Championships, everybody in the summer comes up here on holiday and they eat the stag party, hen party or rugby club, whatever, it could be a family do, whatever. And they come down the beach and they want to have a go in the bathtub. So everybody who has a go in a bathtub is a winner in my case. You know, let's not be normal. Let's try things that are different, you know. So everybody has a go in the bathtub, they're in the heat of the World Bathtubbing Championships. So it goes on forever. It will live forever. But someday, yes, I will. I'll put the title on the table and I'll say, right got the course set up come on down let's have a race and um we'll we'll see we'll see who's the fastest in the bathtub
0: well there you go that sounds like a challenge out to all of the sup community um how flexible are you as an athlete can you take on the uh, the bathtub challenge that's amazing tony it's been an absolute joy talking to you thanks so much for giving up so much of your time um whereabouts can we find you online
1: uh, you can uh, find us on Facebook. Um, just type in Green Dragon Activities or Green Dragon Sub School North Wales. Um, online, um, it's um, www.greendragonactivities.co.uk, and um, you'll you'll be able to read a lot of the stories and adventures on my blog page there. I'm using the the time of the lockdown to to write up all my past adventures and a lot of my thoughts on different things so a lot of that stuff is going out over the blog site
0: and of course on uh, on facebook it's uh Sup Mad kiwi on there oh, yeah, and um,
1: there as well
0: thanks so much again tony and uh, obviously keep safe during the, the current situation and wish you all the best
1: i will do simon thank you very much for the opportunity
0: Thank you for listening to SUP FM, the number one podcast for stand-up paddlers wherever you are. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Until then, we'll see you on the water.